Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the MCAS podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Castaneda. And today for this episode, uh, I believe it's episode five now, I ha- we're going back to New Jersey with a local candidate in Marcos Marte. Um, he is running in the 33rd Legislative District um, for State Assembly in the state of New Jersey. Um, Marcos, welcome on to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Matt, for having me on the MCAS. Glad to be uh, listed as uh, the guest for episode five on the MCAS. Hello to everyone. God bless. And we're looking forward to having a very uh, lucrative talk and conversation here and bring some more uh, opportunities to our legislative district in the 33rd in Hudson County. Yeah, of course. Um, and if you could just uh, talk to the viewers, um, just tell us a little bit more about the legislative district. Like, tell us about your community. Tell us about, you know, why you're running. Yes, absolutely. So I have recently actually um, moved into the city of Jersey City and also um, spent some a couple months in Union City. Um, so the 33rd Legislative District covers Union City, Weehawken, Hoboken, Jersey City, and touches some parts of West New York. Um, so we actually um, encompass one of the most diverse cities um, and just gathering of cities as well. Um, which encompasses the most diverse groups of people living in unison in one uh, set of radius. Um, So it's very opportunistic to be able to run against the Democratic Party, which has in historically uh, led this area uh, in its sole voice and partisan manner in in terms of party um, and and administration. Um, So it, yeah, so it it does look like they keep up well with the city, um, but um, being a diverse Hispanic um, son of immigrants that, you know, for the first time came into America and found citizenship and found opportunities that we did not have in the past. I think it's very important to shed light on the values of conservative Hispanics and also bring that into tune in terms with the Republican Party and the things that we have just encountered in the last six years. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Um, for sure. And like you said, you know, it's a very diverse community. Um, happen to be of the same community, you know, fellow Hispanic here as well. Um, but considering the area in Hudson County, because historically, I mean, especially now, it's arguably one of the bluest counties in all of New Jersey, which that's saying quite a lot as is. What? How did you find conservatism? How did you find um, the principles of, you know, limited government and social conservative values? Absolutely. Um, I believe most most importantly, um, not only being rooted deeply in my culture, being a, a basically a, a second generation uh, Dominican um, with my parents' roots being established in the Dominican Republic, I think it's very important for us to focus in. <clears throat> I don't think there is enough uh, taught and handed down in terms of culture and appreciation of our history and what it took t- in terms of sacrifice, uh, blood and guts and pure Um, obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in the Bible. I think those intrinsic values and morals and principles that have been instilled in us throughout the word um, is what most drives me towards conservatism. Um, And most importantly, the republic uh, for which we stand in the United States of America and our constitution uh, that sits right behind me, we the people and the constituents of this country and our states and our cities, uh, it's us um, who most needs to be represented at this point in time um, where we see over my lifetime, which has been short to this point, 28 years old. um, I believe that Mm -hmm. our participation as Hispanics and also uh, the youth, it's it's not widely distributed enough um, where we now see um, 
driving towards limitations of terms in terms of Congress and House of Representatives, because, because those are things that are necessary. We need to have much more youth involvement, much more uh, inclusion in terms of minority groups and sharing their experiences right. um, to be able to change the, the perspectives and also the narrative and, and the drive and the motivations behind our communities um, and our states and eventually our country. And uh, we, I believe that Donald Trump, uh, you know, basically enabled and motivated me um, to the same perspectives that I already knew were true to my heart. I was just afraid to say them or sometimes hindered or it just wasn't the status quo and the narrative. The silent the majority, time. as they say. And then, yes, we the deplorables. You know, in yeah. 2015, uh, we spread our wings and we showed America what we can do when we come together. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned um, the you know the conservative values. You know, our faith. Um, you know, really just you know believing in God. You know, believing in hard work and merit, which a lot of our families, um, my own my own family included, um, the values that. They, that they base themselves off of when they, especially from when they first came to this country, because my own parents that they immigrated from Colombia back in the mid nineties. So um, I also, you know, safe to say, I also know firsthand, you know, what it's like living in that kind of family, especially when they're trying to assimilate into um, the values and the, and the diverse culture that we have in, you know, here in America, and especially here in New Jersey. Um, of course, what I've always appreciated despite the politics here is, um, the fact that there there were a lot of Hispanics here to begin with, it was a growing community and they really helped them assimilate. It really helped. Um, they, of course, eventually learned to speak English, became Amer proud American citizens, proud patriots, I should say, um, which leads me to this question, because you and I know a lot of Hispanics that are patriots, uh, people that are proud of their country, um, th especially those who oppose authoritarianism, those who have lived under corrupt authoritarian governments and regimes. Then, then in this case, not to sound like a uh, just a bipartisan accurate, but then why do Hispanics vote overwhelmingly Democrat? Um, like you said, Hudson County, it's a uh, you know very diverse. Many Hispanics live in that district. Do you do you think they forget those values when they when they go out to the ballot box, or wh what do you think the issue is? Um, a great question, and it's something that I personally have you know carried my cross and took. A lot to the books just to read what what really is the history behind Central and Southern America and the Caribbean and what are its differences in countries that were able to advance while others did not. And also tying that into, as you asked, why is it that the Hispanic uh, consensus votes Democrat? Um, and I believe it's mostly for lack of words, they've been bamboozled um, like my family quickly realized on our uprising, um, because when you first come to this country and, you know, you have maybe a couple dollars, maybe a few family members, a, an opportunity to have shelter for perhaps a week or so. Um, so, and, and, and we're talking about my, the perspectives that have been set before me and, and most likely yourself of our parents in the late 70s, uh, middle 80s, early 90s, and, and their uh, first in, in, uh, contact with the U.S. land. Um, so I believe that the Democratic Party does have its hook, line, and sinker set up, um, distributing opportunities in terms of welfare and right. giving an established starting point. So they do make those opportunities very widely available, um, and they market them, and they make sure that the constituency is arriving to benefit from those factors. Uh, but where we see the problem is, 
the cutoff, the deadlines, and or so the regulations to be able to receive those uh, benefits. So after a certain point where your family and your status economically starts to rise and you're cut off from that, you quickly begin to realize that it's a system where they want you to continue inside of it and not escaping out of it. Right. Um, one great example, um, I, I, I realized the day that my father showed very strong conservative values and, and, and actually like basically red-pilled himself. Um, I lived in Southern New Jersey for quite some time and we used to travel to Philadelphia uh, to, uh, you know, partake in food shopping in terms of Hispanic availability and products. And I remember we were in line shopping uh, and a young woman was in front of us with two shopping carts full of food. And I believe it, right. it was during like a very tough uh, time period during that almost recession during the Obama terms. Um, and the woman in front of us, we actually knew her. Um, we knew that she was a New Jersey resident, but again, right. we were in Philadelphia. And when she pays, she pays with the family first. And afterwards, she brags about how she has a family member that lives in Philadelphia and they were able to, you know, defeat the system. And she participates in receiving, uh, you know, food stamps. And so she and so she was able to get it through both states, both New Jersey and Pennsylvania, perhaps New Jersey. Um, but we do know for a fact that it was in Pennsylvania and she was utilizing that, although she was a non-resident. And, you know, that huh. really irritated my father and, and caught my attention. Um, because, uh, you know, during the drive home, having spent perhaps $600 on our family just in a short, you know, we were just food shopping two weeks, three weeks ago um, and ha and seeing that effect and how angry it made him and how it disturbed him that, you know, he's here working his hard sweat and uh, tears off of his brow and others are just uh, taking and reaping from the system. So it's just a very self-defeating um, and demoralizing to see that, um, especially as uh, a man and a woman that are trying to raise children and trying to, uh, you know, just up, uphold the, the, the economy in the household. Um, and it's, it's, it's very sad to see, although the benefit is there to be taken by those in need, uh, we unfortunately see the abuse. But again, relating right. to our question, I believe it's that extension of, of and disposability of the benefit. Um, and regarding the efforts to establish you to progress to a better opportunity and to outgrow the umbilical cord, so to say, when you first come to this country. So I believe um, right. tipping, you know, I, I, I've diagnosed and boiled down, at least for my campaign efforts, um, my best effort will be to basically put my finger on these Hispanic voters and push them a little bit over the edge to think on the opposite end. Um, we have a lot of people that have grown in success from first time business owners to now own, owning property and real estate while still conducting business in that um, property. Right. Um, we, we have people that have realized the American dream quickly, and it's, it's mostly on the behalf of their efforts and, and their uh, skill set to, to just push forward and keep the uh, motivation. Uh, first and foremost, because we know where we come from. And if we're able to remind everyone where they come from and that they still have a lot of life to live and a lot of progress to make, a lot of opportunities to reach, um, I believe that reassuring the Latino community of that power and that opportunity um, and inspiring them can definitely turn the tide. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an interesting, it's really interesting that you make that point because 
as short as the as short lived as the show has been so far, that's actually not the first time I've heard that. Um, in a prior episode, I was uh, talking with uh, Assemblyman Candidate David Cipher and Atlantic City Council Candidate Matthew Julio Decino. He touched upon the similar point. Mind you, he's of a different community. I believe he's Italian or something like that. But he touched upon this as well because he also came from comes from South Jersey, Atlantic City, and is the same problem, right? Because once you start building up that wealth, once you start building up, you know, some, some success, putting yourself on that path towards the American dream, it gets to a point where all of a sudden in welfare, you're just instantly cut off. Now, I'm not someone who's the biggest uh, fan of uh, expanding government or expanding programs necessarily, because I think government is inherently efficient when they run these programs. But that being said, I can understand the uh, the situation for a lot of people who are really towing the poverty line or towing that threshold, whether or not they qualify for benefits. And th- the fact that there's no system in place or no uh, process to where it becomes like it where it's we don't have an easier um, phasing out of the benefits. Like the fact that it's more cut and dry, as I see, is part of the problem. Um, so when it comes to that, you know, because obviously you're running as a Republican in a, in a deep blue district, you know, to be honest, it's definitely an uphill battle. It definitely has been for other Republican candidates that have ran in that district in recent elections. What do you think is going to make you different? How like what have you learned if you've talked to any of the past candidates or seen how they ran their campaigns? What do you think that you need to do is gonna has to be different? How are you gonna be able to turn out more people to vote to vote for you as a candidate? Great question once again. And you know what? Uh, also in my studies, I, I I found a gentleman by the name of Mark Fager, who actually, I believe in 1905, single-handedly defeated the Democratic entrenchment of Jersey City for its mayoral race. Um, at that point in time everywhere from the union to workers' parties uh, to banking, everything inside of New Jersey City was corrupted. And this gentleman um, who had no education single-handedly defeated the party by going door to door. And although we live in a different time in 2021, um, I believe that the media also disenfranchises a lot of the Republican uh, nominees and and members uh, that are trying to attain some sort of footprint inside of a legislative district or any place inside a local uh, government or politics. Um, So I believe first and foremost, uh, making that contact, sharing my life experience as a citizen of New Jersey, all of my 28 years, um, that will be first and foremost, the the trigger um, to inspiring others to uh, think how I think perhaps, and just to open their minds to the Republican party, um, followed by the the reminder of where we come from and the things that we have attained and what we have to be grateful for in terms of being able to inhabit this wonderful country of the United States. And thirdly, uh, I would um, really enjoy to have a large following of the youth uh, because young blood, fresh legs, um, extendable arms that can, you know, reach out and, and touch some of these corners that have not been, uh, have no presence politically, people that don't, that, that are inspired, that have uh, a certain mindset, they want to be involved. And, and that's one thing that I can say I have encountered with my early campaigning towards this November election is that a lot of people actually are inspired. They want to get connected to the GOP. They just have no idea how to do it. Um, so in terms of my uprising in the last four years of trying to attain that same attention, trying to gain a platform to uh teach and unteach 
a lot of our community and a lot of our youth, not only in Hispanic culture, um, to basically, you know, you don't have to delete all of your thoughts that you had in the previous time, but revise them. Um, find equilibrium with our times and really position yourself to see what actually stands for your principles instead of going to that ballot box and casting a vote for something that you truly do not believe in. Um, only right. in sense you're voting for something that you're following. So I believe with those four points, um, we will definitely be able to damage uh, the Democratic turnout um, and inspire others to turn to the Republican Party and deal that blow and uh, lead New Jersey in a new path. Right. Yeah. And uh, speaking of going against uh, authoritarians and uh, political machines, um, we got to address the elephant in the room, Cuba um, or Cuba for um, the English speakers out there. Um just tell me your thoughts on it. And because uh, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of um, people on social media. Right. Because um, I, I follow I like to follow people that are both on the right and the left, not because I support the left by any means. I don't. But it's a great way to see what not only what they're thinking, but what they're saying publicly. So that way, when you attack their points, when you address their points, when they try to uh, reply to you by saying, oh, but that's not what we believe or we didn't say this. It's like, no, like. I'm going off of what you specifically said about this particular issue. And some of them tried to twist the narrative. And I saw what they were coming from because I'll give some people on the left their credit. They don't, a lot of them don't like the mainstream media as well, albeit for anti-capitalist reasons. Uh, but a lot of them are trying to twist the narrative of the, of the situation that's going on in Cuba as like, oh, you know, it's not only just the virus, but it's also imperialism. It's, um, you know, just America trying to, you know, take over the world again, that, you know, a lot of the majority of Cubans still support socialism. They love the free health care. They love uh, the free education that they're getting. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are your thoughts of people who, you know, not just the situation itself, but the those kinds of responses that people have towards a truly socialist authoritarian government? You know, I, I have a lot to say on, on, on that brief question. Um, off, man. I, I, I'd first like to begin with, um, I've actually, uh, with the way that I've adapted my thinking to turn apart, turn away from the media and, and reflect on history, most importantly, it, I've been watching some lectures uh, that were recorded in Harvard by uh, the great Jordan Peterson, mm -hmm. who uh, it's titled The Map um, to Learning or Maps of Learning. And basically he goes throughout uh, to explain when questions are being asked or statements are being posed, you have to reflect upon who said it, what's their perspective, how much leverage they have to share on that. And I feel like a, a lot of our um, constituency doesn't do that diligence. They don't reflect upon information that they take in. They just take the information in and shut everything else out as false. Um, so there was a very interesting interview. Um, I do not know the title. Um, but it took place in Argentina, um, and it was between a gentleman that fled to Argentina just four years ago from Cuba and a gentleman that was Argentinian and was actually, I'm not sure if he was a candidate, but he was a, a, a leader in terms of trying to push communist rule. Um, right. So they argued back and forth. But even the host had to take the side of the Cuban Argentinian only because uh, the, the gentleman in opposition with the uh, position of the communist state mm -hmm. had no experience with communism. They didn't know what it was like. Only hearsay. Um, he, the gentleman said that, oh, no one, uh, he argued that no no infant is, is, is in, 
impoverished or going through hunger pains. And the gentleman says, I had two people living under me that died from the cold. So I think it's very important, very important to seek history and to seek real accounts of what is happening from feet and ears and souls that are on those grounds. Um, Cuba, what's been going on for ever, almost 60 years that they have not had a legitimate election at all. Their food source is so scarce and it's given to them. They have no right to purchase food unless it's through a black market or it's passed hand to hand for uh, an egregious amount of money that those people do not possess or do not have the opportunity to attain. So um, I definitely stand in solitude and support the Cuban culture and the community. Uh, We had a great event on behalf of uh, this district in West New York, um, marching down uh, Bergen Line Avenue, which is one of the most diverse streets as well in terms of uh, inhabitants. And it, it was amazing, the spark of, of inspiration and people that got together for a solid cause. Um, but we still do see the media try to control the story and the narrative to push us in another direction, uh, strictly to avoid the conversation about communism and right. socialism and its perils. Um, and we see the same thing going on with the media trying to convolute itself into stories with what we see going on in Haiti and the Dominican Republic as of now with the, the unfortunate yeah, passing of, of the president in Haiti. Even the Biden administration. Um, I remember when Jen Psaki was uh, having that press conference regarding it. She was trying to not like disregard it, but kind of twist the narrative that it's a COVID-19 related issue, which... It's one of those things where she's not wrong, but she's missing like the bigger picture. She's like, it's almost like being at a basketball stadium. It's like, oh, I see a person over there, but there's like 70,000 other people. It's like, yeah, sure, they're there, but you're missing the force for the trees, as you'd say. You know, whether she was doing it deliberately or, deliberately or not, that was that was the case. Yeah. And, and likewise, like as I spoke earlier, um, sticking to our roots and our culture, and I've, I've made it just as important to myself. And I've always told myself and reminded myself, if, if I feel as though I'm going to represent the, uh, the United States of America, um, being born here, I also do have to pay attention to what's going on in my country, because at some point in time, my parents will pass on and I will have uh, lots of of work to do in terms of their passing in terms of my country. So I like to also pay attention to the climate in terms of politics in our country. And one thing that uh, through various discussions that me and my father have placed also basing it with history is that we in the Dominican Republic also are suffering. And it's also due to the Biden administration and its uh, grip on our economy right now. And it's all through the directive of the coronavirus. Um, Not many people have been paying attention to that situation between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Um, But I also have some strong personal feelings about it. And I think it all boils down um, Matt, if, if, you, if you could kindly remember and, and put ourselves back about six months, what was the controversy with the FBI and the Dominican Republic? If you remember, they, well, they were tinting or, or saying that there was deaths in various resorts due to alcohol tainting. Right. And we saw the GDP of the Dominican Republic drop 40 points. The FBI wow. concluded its investigation and found no, no wrongdoing in terms of alcohol. None of those deaths were led to there. So the, directly, the really? positions of the media yeah, and the implications, they drove our economy, which was uprising and booming, and not only pushed us further down in growth, 
but they also managed to push away tourism, which is the number one uh, reasoning to our economy and, and, our, and our GDP um, revenue. Right, the primary source. So now we see the same thing happening. Uh, they rated the Dominican Republic at a stage three, which is to reconsider travel there um, because of a small flare in coronavirus. And now our president, who also debates against the public and even his own household against uh, lockdowns and ma uh, mandating uh, quarantine times, um, he's getting that pushback very strongly now. And he's opening up uh, our, our province by province after reaching the same 70%. Um, so it's something that as a people, you know, it's very tough as well to undergo um, everything that's going on with COVID. But you do realize that, you know, there's a certain economic standpoint that it's, it's really a red line in the sand. And with too much of this uh, guideline and um, how can I say, just everything that's going on with coronavirus and how it's stopping us like a, a, a terrible break it's 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 we can't stand for it much longer or else our not only cuba um we're going to see the entire western hemisphere just turn into that same socialist mentality and communist form of life and we have to fight back against that strongly yeah absolutely um and speaking of fighting back against it strongly um i, I don't know how much you look into data i'm very much a data nerd um, when it comes to elections and especially when it came to the 2016 to 2020 presidential election. And what I found very interesting was two major things. Well, technically three, right? Um, and this all relates to the swings to the right. Sure, there were a lot of swings to the left and a lot of suburban, a lot of urban areas that are starting to stem out, like in Atlanta, Dal uh, the Dallas metropolitan area, Houston metropolitan area, that type of stuff. But on the flip side, um, number one, um, if you look at cities like the Bronx, um, Dover here in New Jersey, a lot of the strong Democrat enclaves, while they're still heavily Democrat, like I'm talking, they went from 90% blue to maybe 80 to 85% blue, but a shift is still a shift. And number two, uh, South Florida, um, Miami-Dade County especially, uh, swung very hard to the right. I think I think Joe Biden even got less raw number of fewer actual votes than Hillary Clinton did in 2016. And Trump ended up winning that district. And number three, Southern Texas, especially all across the border, um, McAllen, um, really Brownsville, the southern tip of that area where all those areas are 90 plus percent Hispanic. Um, do you foresee... Um, Republicans continuing that momentum to continue making those inroads? And if so, what should the Republicans do to force that turnout in such a way where they can really not only take back the majority in 2022, but to also to also be able to put in principled conservatives, people who can actually advocate for principles of limited government to fight back against um, an, ever uh, an ever growing uh, size of government? No, great question again. Um I believe first and foremost, um, the, this begins with our constituency um, and also the adherence to what is going on in our climate and our social cycles and, and our voting uh, rights as well. Um, but first and foremost, I believe it's up to the citizens to push back um, on the behalf of the party and on behalf of our country to reinvigorate the voter integrity in each state um, to accurately uh, benefit from all voters um, to accurately take down the results and to elect our wholly duly elected officials and government or elected officials. Um, it first begins there um, because we see a lot of the controversy that is going on now state by state and we cannot 
unfortunately, we cannot uh, adhere and trust wholeheartedly the results of our elections. So I begin, I, I believe that the future begins there first. Um, but as we've seen in many of these states and many of these counties, especially with Donald Trump's uh, 2016 presidential race, it was very narrow margins and it was always a minority group that pushed over the scale and very much so it was the Hispanic community. And if we really look at those numbers and I've been learning from you, Matt, and also a great gentleman such as Stephen Cortez and Richard Barris, who, who runs the People's Pundit, um, who, who had, that gentleman had defeated the pollsters who we know cheated Bernie, which was one of my inspirations to, to, to seek into politics and to debunk a lot of its hypocrisy, is that even the pollsters, they cheated Bernie Sanders out of his own primary against Hillary Clinton. He had a lead about four primary elections ahead of Super Tuesday on Hillary, beating her by almost 20 points. And all of a sudden, the polls started in uh, reporting inaccuracies. That led to coin tosses inside of school gyms that pushed the majority and the candidacy or the commitment of the party to Hillary Clinton. And with no so, oversight. With no oversight, just literally a flip of a coin like, like on to YouTube. Put, to put in perspective, I still remember from those primary elections, granted this was in Wyoming, it's a deep red state, but what really popped out to me was, I don't know, I don't recall exactly how they handled the primary there and how they handled the, the votes towards the candidate. But in terms of raw number, right, for Democrats and progressives that love the popular vote, Bernie Sanders got the popular Democrat primary vote. Like he overall got more votes than Hillary Clinton did. But for some reason to do some formalities or I forgot exactly what it was, but for some odd reason, Hillary Clinton ended up getting the delegates in Wyoming. So I'm like, no. that, that doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's really very difficult to digest. But if you look at the structure and the leadership of the Democratic Party, it's top down the top controls the bottom and and in between they're the party of backstabbers but the people that are stabbed in the back they take out the knife and they hand it back to the owner and they fall in line and that's what we have to really wake people up from the hypocrisy the hearsay the status quo the narrative the media and the democratic party are intertwined and that like donald trump famously once said they're not after me they're after you and I'm just in the way. And that's something that we really have to hold dear to our heart and in our minds that, you know, uh, they can flash and dangle great things in front of us, but until they give us that unique and independent opportunity, we never really will be free um, as, as citizens of the United States. And the deeper we get and the more consolidation that the, you know, Democratic Blue Party entrenches in, across the United States, uh, the further away from freedom we, we stand at this point. And it's sad to say because we don't like to, you know, categorize a political group and a party into one uh, egg or one basket. But at this point, the majority of the Democratic Party has proven its principles and it's and it's just Black degrading. <laughs> They're degrading our society and what America stands for in terms of a republic and a democracy. Um, so I believe it, it's really going to be the tipping point for the Hispanic community to realize we have the numbers. We're, we're really not a minority. 
especially looking towards the census and the statistics that they have proven to us uh, towards the upcoming 20 years. So I think right now is the perfect time for us to get organized, to become educated, to network, and to drive and strive towards the future and, and to keep that one being uh, one of liberty, freedom, and, and to keep our guidance under God. Yeah, absolutely. Almost had a phrase there, but and I want to make one more point too, yes. uh, especially because our, our our question is centralized around the election participation and the uprise of our communities to push more towards coming red. Um, when I touched on the subject of the election fraud and the voter integrity, there's there's one point that I'd like to make on on your show. Um, a lot of people, I'm not sure if it's including you, Matt. Ha- we really need to realize that Jill Stein and what she did after the 2016 election, after her discovery of her data and her results um, in comparison to her 2012 run were incomprehensible. The same five states in which Donald Trump is fighting for now, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, and uh, and I believe it was Texas, Arizona, correct? If I missed that. They still have a case ongoing, I believe. I think, the, and again, this is not to oh, well, that's push for, a point per se, so I don't get Donald Trump, right? whatever. But, um, well, that, that's the thing. Like, what I was going to specifically say was, um, the Arizona Senate, Senate president announced that the the number that they counted from that audit compared to the number of votes that were counted when they certified the results did not match. Now. I didn't exactly see what the, the number gap was, but it seemed to have been significant enough to raise a red flag. Absolutely. So after everything that happened in 2020, it's just a realization of, again, I, I took the path of let's look at this historically and see what we can really find out in the past. Jill Stein, after losing, after only receiving about 3% of the popular vote across the United States, raised $8 million to audit the Pennsylvania election. This is 2016. Why did she do that? Because she had a 366% growth in participation and votes acquired from 2012 to 2016, which really? she should have done. Yes. And wow. that's, she had over 120% gain in voter participation from 2012 to 2016 election. What she should have done was elevated whoever her campaign manager was to be the king of this world or this or this country because how can you really zone in and allocate all of that participation? That person deserves a medal. And I think a lot of people need to take that perspective to see people that contested elections with you know no shot at winning just for the pure principle. And now we see what has happened here. So it's 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 kind of tough. Obviously, it's very debatable. Um, it's it's almost a terrible a sin to to mention right now in our climate with Donald Trump. But if we look at history and the people that have raised millions of dollars for the same principle and the same integrity around voting for for all of our constituents, it's now, again, it's an evil thing to say, but if we reflect upon history, people have done the most to try to prove the same point and have been blocked off. So let's see, uh, hopefully this uh, this sweeping voter integrity uh, resolutions that are taking a lot of states by surprise and are having great, great success in terms of legalities and uh, being run, run through in, in bills and having approvals. Um, hopefully that can drive the United States to change as well and just bring a lot more trust to our system. Right. Yeah. And one question, uh, one more question to really wrap this up. 
Do you believe a lot of people in the Hispanic community are starting to wake up? Do you believe that there's a lot of people are starting to realize, oh, wow, I didn't think of this before. And I should have thought of this before when I um, was at the ballot box voting for these candidates. Like, I should do something about this. I, I think I need to start changing my views or I didn't realize this. Like, what's been your experiences um, when you talk to the Hispanic community about, you know, about the, the two parties and the types of candidates that they've been voting for compared to who they should be voting for? I'd say it's happening at a 60% rate um, because, again, it's, it's a war between the media and narrative and perspectives that are close to the heart. Right. And uh, exactly how I boiled down the last four years of wearing my Trump hat around and uh, dynamic communities with lots of different people and the acceptance of that, um, that was like my meter to gauge um, attention and also uh, the emotion uh, of, of a lot of folks. And a lot of folks always loved the hat. They were always... L- grateful to, to come in and communicate their their beliefs. And what hand over fist I noticed is that people that are most of the Hispanic community that is in touch with what's going on in their countries back home, they typically believe in Donald Trump and, and believe in the Republican Party and the uprising because they see that for the past few years, their particular country, wherever, wherever they come from, um, has been led by a leftist or socialist thinking uh, political party. Or even just a corrupt politician in general. Or corrupt politicians. And as we see, Dominican Republic, Brazil, um, if you look at El Salvador with Nayib Bukele, or, and if you look at Argentina, if you look at Mexico with Obrador, all of these countries they're finding that strength to oppose the leftist ideals and party and moving towards far, far right um, ideology and pursuit of reestablishing not only nationalism, reestablishing the economy, reestablishing the systems of justice, reestablishing opportunities and growth in terms of work and income. These countries are grabbing all of the power and their resources Uh, of their own lands to now build themselves up and to come to terms with the United States of America to be able to trade and to turn away from the East. And we see a lot, a lot of corruption that was turned towards the East and the Far East and stripped the economies right out of our people's hands. But now that the citizens of each one of these countries realize their true opportunity and their true power now in our uh, age of information and technology, they're finally zoning in and gaining that strength and that realization that they too can inspire and grow their countries to be strength. Uh, how can I say, um, to basically just be strong on their own and be independent. Um, that's what we all want for our people. It doesn't mean that we're going to shut away the entire other world and just be inclusive to ourselves. No, we want to participate, but uh, I forget who actually said this. Uh, I think it was actually Naib Bukele um, in one of his great speeches uh, right. uh, not too long ago. He mentioned that, you know, the United States wants to help us, but we want the United States to help us become strong so that that way we can be withstanding next to the United States. We don't want to feed from the hand of the United States. We want to stand up next right. to you and be belong you instead of under you. We, right, we not be stuck on perpetual foreign aid. Like, a, and that, like another and, welfare state. 
Exactly. And that is one of the key points. We can see that through the United States relation and its leadership for the past 40 years and someone that's very interesting to see is Ronald Reagan and his policies that he ran in terms of Central America and bringing it to a first world status that was hindered. And that was hindered by some of the most lucrative three-letter agencies in the United States. So if we zone in and we really see what Republicans or what politicians did what to our country, sanctions um, in terms of relations of trade, foreign policy, if we really zone in and we see the evidence, it's the same thing. They want us held yeah. down and pushed down and opposed by the thumb instead of having an uprising and standing shoulder to shoulder to be the strength of the world and the beacon of freedom. Um, so we have to dig in deep and see which party has contributed to either the growth or the hindering of certain sectors of this world. And, and it's, it's, I think once you dig in, it, it becomes really obvious to a lot of our viewers. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great way to conclude. Honestly, um, Marcos, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Um, that's a pleasure. Yeah, of course. That was, that was very insightful. I, def, I think I even learned a little bit from you today. So definitely appreciate that. Um, please feel free to come on again anytime. Uh, this was great. Um, thank you everyone for listening on to the show. Um, the link tree and my social media links will be on the description below. Um, please, uh, please feel subscribed to the channel um, really, um, and turn on post notifications. Um, also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, you name it. Then again, all my social media is down below in the description box. Uh, thank you guys. And, uh, hope you all have a great day. All right. Take care. Bye.